Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about the nature of the war, that we are in a spiritual war, and I described the war in terms of a resource fight, a fight over resources, and that you are the resource that God and Satan, God and the devil, are fighting over. Now, the battle is taking place in your mind. That is the actual battleground. I mean, we have a battleground in the sense that we have a spiritual realm, and we have a battleground in the sense that we have a physical realm, and that the nature of the spiritual warfare is a combination of the spiritual beings and the physical beings fighting in various ways. That is true. But I believe that a good way to look at this war, especially when it comes to you personally, I believe that a really good way to look at it is to think about the war taking place in your mind that that is a battleground that has the most significance to you. Now, the way that this war works is very simple. It has to do with the truth or the lie. It has to do with what you believe. What you believe is true or what you believe is not true. If you know the truth and you believe the truth and you trust in the truth, you will experience freedom in Christ Jesus. If you do not know the truth, or you are not believing the truth even though you know it, if you are not trusting in your God, then you will be in bondage. That is the nature of the war. It is a war between freedom and bondage. It is a war in the sense of whether or not you are going to be a child of God. That has to do with your belief concerning the gospel. Are you going to believe the truth of the gospel and be saved or not? So you have a battle that's taking place. It has to do with you. The battleground is in your mind. It has to do with the truth and the lie, which means that you are a participant in this war. Whether you like it or not, you are participating. Certainly, the devil and his demons are participating in their capacity. The living God is participating in his capacity. But you are participating in the sense that you get to choose what you are going to believe. And you also get to choose what you are going to do in addition to that in terms of who you are going to speak to, what are you going to speak about, in what way will you engage the fight over the truth and the lie. So I wanted to emphasize that again. I've mentioned that briefly in previous programs, but I believe that this is another time that I should mention it in order to help maintain the proper context of this topic of spiritual warfare, this series of programs on the subject. Now, when we talk about the subject of the devil, when I refer to the devil, sometimes it can be easy for us to assume that he has some godlike characteristics. You know, when I speak about God, the living God, the Lord, and I speak about the devil, the conflict between the two, I can give the appearance that the devil might have more capabilities, he may have more power than he really has. 
I have to be careful with that. I want you to know that I do not believe that the devil is some omniscient, all-knowing, all-present kind of being. I believe that he's an individual being that does have some boundaries with regards to how far he can hear, how far he can see, in what geographies he can participate in. Now, I do not know how to define that from a spiritual point of view, but I can define it in a physical point of view to a degree. I can say with a high degree of confidence that right now, where I am teaching this, and right now where you are sitting, it is highly unlikely that the devil is anywhere nearby. In the verse that I read in a previous program concerning Job, Satan was up there in the kingdom of God visiting with God while God was visiting with his sons, the sons of God who presented themselves and the devil was there and the Lord had a conversation with him. When he was there, he certainly was not here. He is very limited in terms of his geographical presence. So when you think about the devil... I want you to think about him as an individual, but you also need to recognize that there are many other beings, many other fallen angels that we would refer to as demons. Because they function with a common purpose, we can often describe them or refer to them as the devil in a general sense. But when we do that, I think it's important that we still keep in mind the fact that they are individuals themselves, that they are not one cohesive unit, as perhaps some would like us to believe. Maybe they would like us to believe that, that they are like God in the sense that in the collective they can be like him in his omniscient and omnipresent kind of capacity. But I just don't see that as being the case at all. Let me give you an example. Consider the president of our country, the president of the country that you're in even, or the leader, however you would describe him, whatever his title is. Think about that person. Now, for me, in the country that I'm in, we call the person who is in the highest office that we have in the country, we refer to him as the president. And I I do not think that the president knows what I had for breakfast this morning. I don't. I don't think that he knows that. In fact, I don't think that he has any interest in knowing what I had for breakfast this morning. And if I wait long enough, I probably won't remember what I had for breakfast this morning either. That's what I mean, is that we have a leader in our country. We have a leader who has a limited amount of time, who has a limited scope of geographical influence, who has only so many hours to work with today. It's highly unlikely that he's going to take part of that time that he needs to use, quite likely, for something else. More important, it's unlikely that he's going to use a part of his day to contact me in some way and find out what I had for breakfast this morning. Maybe even ask me a few questions about it to give him some more specifics. You know, it's highly unlikely that that's going to be the case. I don't think he'll ever know what I ever eat for any meal. I just don't expect that to be the case. And if it is, I don't think it'll happen again. My point is, is that the devil himself, Satan, can only do so much. He has limitations. He is not as powerful as some people often suggest that he is. He has other demons who follow him, but they follow him in the sense of a common philosophy. Do they follow all of his orders? Do they follow all of his directives? They might not. They might actually have some conflict between themselves. 
They may not always do everything that he would like them to do. What kind of punishment is he going to exercise and how is he going to find them? You know, things are not as well put together as perhaps we would like them to be. There is a tremendous amount of disarray in the army of the devil, but there is also a lot of cohesiveness. It's not as bad as perhaps we would like. It's not as good as we would like. It's not as bad as we would like. It's just the way it is. It is how it is, and I want you to know that there are individual demons who have their own personalities, who have their own objectives, who have their own goals. When you consider, for example, that the devil himself, Satan, is the god of this world, haven't they already accomplished a lot? I mean, what are they really doing? I mean, they've already achieved such a tremendous victory. What's the problem? Well, the problem for them is that the Lord is involved still. He still invades. He creates the conflict from their point of view. From their point of view, they have no conflict. You've got a lot of demons who get to go around and find people to live within and through, to have influence over, to do things with, to participate with. And every once in a while, the Holy Spirit and some of his angels come around and disrupt things and disturb things. And then they have a fight on their hands. And I don't know what that looks like. I can only speculate. But that is what things really look like. Now, there is some organization, but it's not as well-defined as perhaps we would like. Now, I first had exposure to this subject of the hierarchy in a big way. I mean, I knew a little bit about it, but I wasn't really educated concerning it until after I was debriefing a satanic priest who I led to the Lord. He talked with me about this just in order to give me a better understanding about what is going on in the spiritual world from a satanic point of view. It was a proper exchange. I taught him the things that I knew about the Lord Jesus. He taught me about the things that he knew about the devil and his angels. It was a reasonable exchange. And he pointed me to Ephesians chapter 6, of all places. He pointed me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, in order to introduce me to some of the hierarchical structures and how the army of the devil is put together. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And he pointed this out and he said, you know, Aaron, those are descriptions of the hierarchy, that you have a hierarchy where some demons are referred to as princes or principalities and others are powers and others are rulers and others are hosts as a collection of them, a host, a certain army or a division of the army. And they operate that way. They function. They're they're beings with minds, emotions, and wills, where they have a mind to think with, they have emotions that respond off of what it is that they are thinking, and they have a will where they make choices and make decisions, and sometimes they don't make decisions that other demons would prefer that they would make. You know, they do have conflicts with themselves every once in a while. There are disagreements sometimes. They have an overall goal to maintain their victory, to maintain possession of their land. They do make a strong effort to try to keep people from being saved. I gave an example in a previous program where I showed in the Gospel of Matthew that the Lord Jesus said that there would be people who claimed that they were able to cast out demons, but he never knew them. 
That is how far they're willing to go. They will go so far as to give the appearance that a person is casting them out of somebody in order to keep them from being saved, in order to keep them from being a part of the kingdom of God. What are they going to be a part of at that time, though? They become a part of a legalistic structure where they teach and live according to the law, according to that which is good. Remember the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, the devil doesn't care which one you choose. If you choose that which is good, if you want to live according to that which is good, he's there for you. If you want to choose that which is according to evil, he'll be there for you too. He's a God for everyone. He's a universal God. For those who want to be evil, he'll be a God for them. For those who want to be good, he'll be a God for them. For those who want to be good, how are they being good? They're being good according to the law. Because there is a law that says this is good, this is the standard, this is what is right. And you know what? It might very well be. But that is not how our God created us to live. He did not create us to live that way, and he will not judge us that way. He will not judge us on the basis of our good deeds versus our bad deeds, unless you really want him to. If you want him to, I'm sure he'll accommodate that. He will judge you according to your works. You will fail. You will be declared evil, and you will go to hell. That's all there is to it. The only way that you can experience a relationship with your God and enter into his kingdom is through his grace and mercy, not through repentance and obedience. If you want to live a life of repentance and obedience, that's what the devil is about. He is about repentance and obedience in order to keep you occupied in a way of life that has nothing to do with the living God. Keep you occupied in that which is good. Keep you occupied in that which is evil. It doesn't matter as long as he keeps you occupied. Did God make us to live that way? Look at the Garden of Eden. Did he create Adam and Eve for the purpose of following the law? Following the law of don't eat this tree. What did he do? Did he create this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and say, you know what? In order to make this tree really special, I'm going to create a person and tell them not to eat it. That's what's going to make this tree really special. Think about that. I'm serious. Think about that for a minute. Is that what he did? Did he create this awesome tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And in order to make it special, he had to create somebody so he could tell them not to touch it. Th that's not what it was about. It had nothing to do with that at all. He created them in order for them to be a part of the creation that he made. To tend the garden, for example. Help name the animals. You know, make use of the earth and create new things with it. That's what he made Adam and Eve for. That's what the creation was about. When he brought the animals to Adam to name the animals, when he did that, did Adam pause for a minute and say, now God, just wait a second. Before we start naming these animals, let's review the laws here and make sure we're not violating any laws. Let's make sure that we're not doing anything that's evil. And, and let's make sure that we did all those things that were good, too. Before we start naming these animals, we got to review things. Now, uh, no, I haven't eaten from that tree over there that I'm not supposed to eat from. And, and yes, I went over there and I took care of these plants that we need to take care of. Let's make sure that I'm right with you. And But, you know, sometimes I was thinking about other things and I wasn't thinking about the things of God. And so let me ask for forgiveness. You know, I have to get right with you before we start naming these animals. I don't see any of that at all. Just name the animals, all right? I mean, just name the animals. Live your life. Live life 
be in this world. The world is not just about the things of good and evil, whether you're breaking the law or you're not breaking the law, whether you're doing good works or not doing good works. There is a life to be lived, believe it or not, outside of those things. There really is. But if the devil can get you occupied in anything other than the things of God, the things that pretend to be of God, you know, the things that are supposedly good, you know, they may very well be, but you know what? They can easily be a distraction from you living your life, being a part of the creation that God made, participating in the things that he created. It can be that way. For example, religion. Religion can be a big distraction from God. It can. It's a lie when they say that it is of God. What do you do? You sit around and you check yourself. You evaluate yourself. You get your list of things that you're supposed to be doing. Get all the laws together and study those things and make sure that you know the difference between good and evil so that you're ready to live according to the knowledge of good and evil. And if you fail, then you got your religion there in order to help you get through that and walk through that. You know, just take a look at what a lot of people do on Sunday mornings, for example. How much time and effort do they put into things that just have no meaning? I mean, they just don't. I mean, haven't you ever been in a congregation of people, left and wondered, why was I there? What was I doing there? What does that have to do with God? What does it have to do with what he's doing? Haven't you ever wondered that? If you have never wondered that, look, I feel good for you. I feel I feel better for you. But listen, get out there. You will find some places that are like that. I mean, they really are. Where people go through these things and they wonder, why are they even there? I mean, what are they really do- What does this have to do with the Lord? Do I know the Lord any more now than I did when I first walked in? In general, no. No. You went through a bunch of ritualistic gymnastics. You went through a bunch of sacraments. You you got right with God according to the theology that they presented. You're going to start over in your new week of trying to live according to that which is good instead of that which is evil. But do you know the Lord? Do do you know about his love? Do you know about his acceptance? Do do you really? Are you a part of what he's... Do you have any idea what he's doing? Are, are Are you a part of a work that he's involved in? in terms of setting someone free? Have you been fighting for the salvation of somebody? Look, I understand that those things do occur within these congregations. I'm not saying that they don't. And it's a great thing that they do. And I'm not saying that they have no value. I'm just saying this in an exaggerated way in order to make a point. The point is, is that the devil is preoccupied and his demons are preoccupied with just trying to hang on to their territory. They're preoccupied with trying to hang on to their resources, and they use religion in order to do it. That's part of it. They use lots of things in order to accomplish that. And there are demons who are allocated for these purposes, who are assigned certain tasks, assigned certain regions. And the devil might get updates here or there, but otherwise he doesn't know everything about everything that's going on. He just doesn't. And in many ways, I'm thankful for that. I'd like to know that he doesn't know everything about what I'm doing, because he can't. If he does, then he doesn't know everything about what you are doing, and I can be thankful for that. I can occupy him in that sense. There are a lot of ways to view this, but what I want you to see here is the nature of the hierarchy, and that we are dealing with a collection of demons who are just trying to hang on. That's what we're really dealing with, that that is the nature of the war. The battleground is in your mind, And the weapons that are being used are primarily the law. Those are the weapons that you will have the most exposure to. Why? It's not complicated. Think about it this way. 
If a demon can get you to think that you have sinned, and that's easy because you sin, right? And so he'll point it out for you. And he'll point it out for you and he'll say, look at this. Look, I'm going to point this out for you. And I want you to think about this, that you have sinned. So how could God like you? God doesn't like you. He hates you. In fact, I can point out here in the scriptures, the sin that you committed, it says right here that that is your sin, that you did this. And so he does not accept you. He doesn't. Now, if he doesn't accept you, think about this for a moment. If you now have a moment where you are not going to rest in the acceptance of God, what is your alternative? You have no alternative but the world. You're going to have to turn to the world because you know God doesn't want to see you. He doesn't want to see you until you straighten this out. He doesn't want to see you until you fix this. This is what the demon will tell you. This is why he needs the law. He needs the law in order to beat you up, in order to get you away from the living God, to get you distracted from him, so that you will then have no alternative but to turn to the world. You're going to feel the pain. You're going to feel the rejection. And you're going to need a fix right away. You're going to need some acceptance in your life right away because you need that. God made you for that. He made you with the need to be accepted. But if you can't get it from God, at least until the next church service or something, if you can't get it for a while, your only alternative is to turn to the things of the world, probably sin. You'll probably engage in some sin so that somebody will like you. You might be deceptive, dishonest. You might engage in some relationship you shouldn't. If you do that, now he's got something more on you. And the demon can attack you more. Now you know that you violated the law of God. You know that you have rebelled. You know that, that you simply are not right with him. So let's, let's find some other sins that you can get into in order to, to get a break from all the religious pressure that we're going to put you under. That's one of the ways that the devil and his demons will use the law against you as a believer in order to gradually pull you away from the living God so that you get further and further in the world. And eventually, if you continue down this path, it may take something significant, something dramatic, for you to finally bend the knee and turn to the Lord and say, Yes, I will embrace your forgiveness, and I will move on, and I will now continue to live my life. But most people don't. Most people get captured by a demon in this way, or by themselves, or by some person who has been influenced by a demon and taught these kinds of things. It is the law that is used as a weapon against you. That is the nature of the war that you are in primarily as a believer right now. That is the nature of the war that you are truly in. It then becomes a war between the truth and the lie. It is effectively found within the scope of the subjects of law and grace. Spiritual warfare is truly an issue of law and grace. Do we live by law or do we live by grace? You cannot live by both. If you live by grace with a little bit of law, you actually live by law. That's what you live by. It only takes a little, not a whole lot. That is the nature of the war that you will find yourself in as a believer in Christ Jesus, where you are constantly bombarded by yourself, by others, and by demons continually trying to bury you under, put you under, subject you under law of some kind. Now, recall what I said earlier about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
Did God create you so you wouldn't eat from that tree? No. He didn't create you for that reason. Now, of course, we don't have access to that tree anymore, so let's consider the law of Moses. The law of Moses, right? God's contribution to mankind's great effort to try to be like him through obedience to the law. Our attempt to try to be like God, which we won't be able to accomplish. But the devil loves it, gives him all kinds of new ways in order to put us in bondage and be subjected to him. Let's pick a law. How about the Sabbath law? Were we created for the Sabbath? Did he create the Sabbath and then say, you know what, I need somebody to obey the Sabbath so I can make the Sabbath really special. I just need to make the Sabbath really special. So I'm going to create people, and these people are going to worship the Sabbath in the sense that they are going to observe the Sabbath. They're not going to do any work on the Sabbath, and so I can say that this is the special day. I have made it special because they are going to observe the law that I gave. Is that why he made us? No, he didn't make us for that. He did not make us because he needed someone to observe the Sabbath. He made the Sabbath so that we could observe the Sabbath because we could use the Sabbath. He made it for us for a number of reasons. The Lord Jesus referred to the Sabbath in this way. He made the Sabbath for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for the man. That's an example to show you that we were not created to live according to the law. We were created to live differently, in a different way, in dependency on our God not in dependency on our obedience to something. There is another way of life that has nothing to do with the law, and that is the life that we can begin to discover in the New Covenant. In the New Covenant. I can't talk about that in this program. But this is where the war is at. The war is to try to keep you from entering into the New Covenant by keeping you preoccupied with the law, thinking that you exist to live according to the law. But that's not why God made you. He didn't make you so that you could live according to the law any more than he made you to live in the ocean or to live in the sky. He made you to live in a different way, to live a life of trust and independency on him, for him to guide you, for him to lead you. You don't need the law in order to know how to brush your teeth or to work the field. There is a way of life that has nothing to do with living according to the knowledge of good and evil. You can live in the inheritance you have in Christ Jesus. And I will continue with this subject in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is livinggodministries.net. Thank you,